Welcome back, my friends. Yes, another week goes by. Thanks so much for joining us here. It's Rick Wagner getting it right here on KNZZ, KGLN, and various other places on the Internet and our podcasts and others, wherever you're joining us. Thanks a lot for listening. Just to get some business out of the way, we're at KNZZ at 1192.7 on your FM dial. And over at KGLN, we're at 980 and 101.3. So we're on four stations at once. And I think about translators, the ships at sea, of course, and other modes of communication. So we appreciate everything that you guys do to listen to us. Before I forget, since I did some research and a few things, if you want to uh, reach me, you can send me an email at Rick Wagner, just one word, Rick Wagner at mail.com. And if you want to follow us on uh, Facebook, we're the Political Viking, because we are the ultimate disruptors. The Political Viking on Facebook and, oh, I think we probably, and we have a YouTube channel that I've sort of cooled off for a little bit while we're coming up with some new things there. I'll let you know when we do that. Might post some things uh, on the Facebook video-wise and so forth this week. But anyway, so, and I hope you guys are looking forward to Thanksgiving. And we do have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we're not living in Iran. I mean, there's that. I mean, they'd like us to, and they've turned it into that, but we're not there yet. But I got a lot of, uh, got a lot of feedback from you guys on the election we talked about last week, obviously, and kind of enlarging on some stuff. So I did a little research based on what some of you guys were talking about, and, uh, well, it was interesting. I've, uh, I've got some feeds out there that I turn to over the years from preparing for the show and so forth, get a little information here and there. And some of the stuff as we enlarge on it, if, if you look at what happened on the election day and then let's say the election week afterwards, and of course we have election month before that, think about that. America isn't supposed to have an election month, is it? Much less an uh, election week to count ballots and Oddly enough, and this is pure coincidence, that the longer it goes, more likely it is Democrats win. That's uh, that's purely accidental, obviously, but it sure seems funny. I know Carrie Lake has been uh, challenging some of the results in Arizona. For those of you that follow what goes on in Arizona and Maricopa County down there, which is Phoenix and all that area, um, it's it's a little bit like Clark County in Vegas, where Vegas is at in Nevada is it carries a huge amount of the population. You know, they had all kinds of problems. Remember, oh, the machines were down for 20% of the people in the county. The, you know, the tabulation was this. They ran out of things. You know, it was just, it looked like it was run by a bunch of distracted sixth graders. At best, that's what it is. It's certainly extreme incompetence. If there's more to it, hard to say. Because it's an interesting thing that you can cover up a lot of shady behavior by a lot of incompetence piled on top of it. It's sort of like digging a hole and throwing a bunch of leaves over the top of it. And it's hard to find out what really happened there. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of it. Maybe we won't. The judges, when you go to the courts, aren't anxious to hear these cases to begin with. And then as long as we keep letting the Democrats appoint governor, uh, governors, appoint judges, we're not going to hear a whole lot in those cases. They're going to slap them down, slap them down, slap them down. And we're not going to get anywhere. Then the Democrat press, well, the progressive press, really, will simply say, see, there's nothing there. These election deniers, they keep filing these lawsuits, and the judges keep dismissing them because nothing's happening. I'm not sure one thing really follows the other. I'm not sure that a bunch of political appointees, which is all the judges are, 
uh, in these federal courts especially, uh, and a lot of states, really are the complete arbiters about what's going on. And so it's just a vicious circle that goes around. You can't get any traction. Without being able to proceed in the courts, in most instances, you cannot get discovery. Discovery is just that. It allows you to ask questions. The court's power is behind you to make the other people answer it, provide documents, provide materials, and so forth. If they knock you out early enough, you don't get to ask any questions. So unless you have a lot of evidence already, which is very difficult to get because they won't give it to you, just probably this looks funny, that's not enough. So they're going to pop you off as fast as they can, and then you get nowhere in these cases. And then, of course, as I just said, you'll end up being an example of how there was nothing there. The judges didn't spare me. Okay. But that's that can't be our primary focus. Yes, we'd like to fix the election laws. Unfortunately, we're chasing the horses in the pasture who bolted two years ago. And we're still chasing them. In the meantime, the Democrats are riding them. Okay? This is what I discovered kind of when I started going through the analysis from several different places on the election. Uh, our polling was wrong, not because I think some of the polls, Rasmussen, Trafalgar especially, a couple of smaller ones, I think we're probably right when they had the races tight, but in some instances, Republicans leading by a point or two, and then they, they lost by five points, right, or more. I kind of think they were right in the early days, but the difference was is this sort of micro-targeting that you get in the voter population that the progressives have perfected. They've done it by shifting the voting style to a voting month, at least in some cases, uh, and then tinkering with that from state to state. And then they spend their time trying to get ballots. I'm going to put it in a way that someone said that, and I can't remember who it was, and I may be uh, rearranging in my head, but this is exactly right. Republicans are interested in voters. Democrats are interested in ballots. That's just not to say that they've snagged a shipment of ballots and are filling them out under lamplight in their back room someplace. Who knows? That could be happening. But is that they make sure that everybody that gets a ballot that they can get their hands on turns that ballot in or turns it over to them if they think that person could possibly vote on their side of an issue. That's what they do. We're still behind in that. We still are trying to do the old-fashioned way, which is what we prefer, which is get people to the ballots on Election Day, rather to the to the polls on Election Day, you know, give people rides, make sure they turn out, get the neighbors to go, this and that. In the meantime, the Democrats, for a month before that day, are harassing and haranguing people to get votes turned in when they target the communities that are most likely to vote their way. They're making it super easy. They're going door to door to make sure you tune in, tune in, turn in, you know, turn in, tune in, drop out. They're putting drop boxes everywhere. They're doing all of this stuff. And we just don't want to play that game. We don't like it because we don't think it's the way voting ought to be. The problem is that we're playing a game. They've made the rules, and we've been refusing to play by the rules because we don't like them very well. Well, we could try and change them, but think about that for a minute. It'd be great if good. How are you going to change them? Got to get people elected. Oh, okay. How are you going to do that? Have an election. Elections run the way you don't like it, and if you don't participate in that way, you're probably going to lose or stand a better chance of losing. Fine. They'll do a ballot initiative. 
Same thing. That's election during the ballot initiative. You're voting on to change the way ballots are going out when the people have already perfected a way, or if not perfected, at least got a pretty good old way, to churn those ballots out to the way they're, they're thinking. They're certainly not going to let you change that if they can. So in order to prevent that, you've got to have an issue that is extremely popular. You could get past that, not to cheat so much, there may be some of that in there, but you could get past this advantage that they have in gathering ballots from people who otherwise would not vote or would forget about it or just not show up or not do it or, you know, uh, that aren't motivated. They motivate people, and not the way we do it, by talking to them and trying to get them excited about voting. They go bother them. They go find them. A lot of you out there have been surprised when you hear about this voter correction thing, the ballot correction, right? And it's been brought up in this third congressional race we're having in Colorado, which was pretty close, closer than it should have been. And you can correct ballots. Well, they were letting people correct ballots for a week. Well, there's actually not. There's a period of time before that. But it just ended. And people were surprised that information about who they were, that something was wrong with their ballot, was made available to the parties. And that operatives were able to, would call them up, come to the, someone was saying they're coming to their house, doing this and that to make sure you turn their ballot in. First, they try and make sure you're from a group that they think you're going to vote their way. We're really talking about progressives. That's pretty crazy. People didn't know that that could happen. Gives an idea of where we're at and why we're at a disadvantage in that behavior. All right, we're back from our little break there, folks. Let's keep talking a little bit more about what we've discovered about how we are going to have to change the way we think about election participation if we're going to win some more. We were lucky to win the ones we did, probably, as the more I examine this. Some of them we were hyped up, probably not as close as they seemed, especially when you turned out some of these microgroups, like I told about, that in national polling don't show up very in very large numbers. But when you place them in certain districts, uh, when you, rather when, when they're in certain districts and can be turned out against specific candidates, they're much more effective. So you have to watch this national polling thing about what's important and what's not. And we talked about this Dobbs decision with abortion, how nationally it wasn't playing as well as the Democrats thought, but in groups it was, it was playing very well for the Democrats, especially when they were saying things that flat weren't true. And the Republicans weren't countering it anyway. We talked last week about how the fact that Republicans didn't seem to have any argument at all. Uh, they were all over the place on it. And uh, they, they didn't have anything cohesive. So you, you factor that in. You get some candidates like, well, like Bolduc in uh, uh, Brigadier General Bolduc out in um, New Hampshire. I mean, Maggie Hassan won that first race for her six years ago by six-tenths of a point. Bolduc gets out there, has a lot of enthusiasm, Trump-endorsed candidate, uh, some some money, but not nearly enough, really. But it seemed like it might be kind of close. I was thinking, well, it might be close. You know, we lost by ten points. And once again, he had some hardline positions and had come up with some positions, but hadn't had any guidance about well, how should we talk about these things? What what's the plan? What's the overarching plan? Republicans didn't have any, and the Democrats always have them on some of these issues. They're extreme, but they're an answer, right? So. Voters look at that and go, well, I understand where they're at, right? My uh, my concern over the abortion issue is alleviated by the fact that 
the progressives think that it's okay to have it, you know, forever, <laughs> anytime for anybody, just period. So I may not even be crazy about that, but it's an answer. Whereas the other side, I don't know what their answer is. And obviously there were some candidates that, that were very, very uh, adamant about their beliefs and that's fine. You run that out there and see how it goes. But others just didn't seem to know what to say. And that screwed us up. You know, we didn't have an, and that's frankly the problem with leadership. I hate to go back that because, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacking, we all hate that. Hindsight 2020, all those things. But I think we all talked earlier about this lack of messaging from the Republican establishment, you know, the McCarthy's and McConnell's. Well, McConnell's a different thing altogether. He's all about McConnell and all about keeping his position, and he is a swamp creature, a true swamp creature. When you look at him, you should just imagine him all the way below the water, which is his eyes sticking out. That's pretty much, he's been there too long. McCarthy is partly that way, and he's also cut from the same cloth as Lindsey Graham a little bit. A lot of talk, a lot of yakety-yak, not much doo-doo. You know what I mean? I don't mean doo-doo in the way some people mean. I mean not doing much, right? And that's kind of how he's always been. And so he offered his... uh Promises to America, whatever it's called, you know, and they were, like I said, like I said last week, vague points like make things better. You know, wow, that's good. You know, I have a great platform along those very lines that I think will get me elected anywhere. It's, it's subtle and it's hard to understand, but I think people will get it. And that is that I am for things that are good. Okay. And I am against things that are bad. Huh? That's a winner, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty much the Republican platform. So, didn't help anybody out. Doesn't give any candidates any guide, too. Not everybody gets to go sit at the feet of the, some mentor someplace, tell them how to run their campaign. They need a little help. They got none. Money was weirdly allocated, especially by McConnell. You know, he poured a bunch of money into Alaska to save Murkowski, right? <laughs> it, what? You know, so, uh, it, it was a bizarre situation, but there's some threads that are easier to see now. Here's the one that I thought was interesting. But these unmarried women, they were very interested in the abortion decision. And they don't show up as a huge mass when you do the polling, when you just poll everybody. And it all depends. Remember, you can poll the population, likely voters, people that voted last time, people that say, by gosh, I'm going to vote unless I get, you know, tied to a fence post. You know, it depends on what group you're looking at. But still... Uh, exit polls in, I think, 2020 showed that that group voted for Biden by 63%, which is ridiculous, but still 63%. In 2022, that same group, based on exit polls, voted for Democrats in the House by 68%. Okay? <laughs> you see what the problem was there. If you tur- if even if a, a relatively smaller group, and this is not a small group, but a relatively smaller group, if you turn enough of them out, it makes a difference. And uh, and someone else pointed out here, I have in my notes, and from one of the articles I was reading, because it was so true, because Lindsey Graham, after the Republicans, the only coherent message they had was that, look, all this does is let the states decide. Federal government shouldn't decide this. The states get to decide this particular issue. Okay, fine. Next thing I know, Lindsey Graham is out there uh, floating a federal bill on abortion. Right? It was a... It, 15 weeks, I think, and then after that, you know, a ban on abortions, except for maybe some, um, there were some possible, uh, 
I think, exceptions in there. I'd have to read it again. But all it did was let the Democrats say, see, they're lying. You know, they say that it's going to be the states who get to vote on it and all this kind of stuff. Next thing we know, the Republicans are trying to push something through abortion in Congress. Half the people are talking don't even know what it is. They just hear that. It was tremendously, you know, undermining for the message that it was up to the states. I don't know what Lindsey Graham was thinking about. Uh, I think he got up one day and thought, well, we'll put something out there that the majority of the population might be in And if you do the polling, once again, polling, but if you ask people, the support, abortion support, is much more prevalent in the first trimester. And as it goes past that, it really starts changing quickly. So he thought, well, we'll float something out there that is what most people seem to want. Yeah, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was that most people aren't paying that much attention to the actual bill. They just hear from the Democrats that the Republicans, despite saying it was going to be up to the states, are trying to put a federal law into effect, you know, outlawing abortion at, you know, they don't happen to mention at what point or anything, and it undermines all of that. It was a crazy move. I, I didn't understand it. Uh, it's it's not something that you see very often. It's like there's no coordination and message there whatsoever. So, you know, you have that going on. And And let's talk one more thing about what's going on with some of the the groups of progressive voters. And many of you will be familiar with the Latin term in loco parentis, right? Sort of roughly translated in the place of an, an, or surrounding you or uh, the parent. In other words, in the place of the parent. This is really what's going on with this large segment of the younger generation. They have substituted the family or husbands, or in some cases wives, I guess, and th- the family unit for the government. They want the government to take care of them. They don't, they, the government is their decision maker. The government is their provider. The government is there like a father would be, or some other, you know, a family unit would be. That's what's happening. And that in loco parentis piece is very dangerous for a free society because it's not a free society. It turns very quickly into a regimented and dictatorial society because, in a sense, that's what they're asking for. They don't know what exactly, but that's what they're going to get. And it also destroys the middle class. As we have less and less choice in our lives, the middle class has a harder and harder time existing. And as we crunch down on the economic pieces, as we start snipping away at various pieces of the economy, it gets smaller and smaller and harder and harder for people to work their way into middle-income America. And what you'll end up with is what has to happen for true autocracies to exist, and that is two classes. They cannot exist in a meaningful way when you have a strong middle class. You have to eliminate it because strong middle class is entrepreneurial, what some uh, call it bourgeois, They are the people who make things, build things, do things, and they are allowed by the government, who has hands-off in the right-thinking society, to move up into a strong middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, but a middle class. They're not poor, and they're not rich. Those people have a very different stake in the economy and in the governance of the country. Because the way the country is governed allows them to prosper economically. Whereas the super rich and the very poor both have different agendas. The super rich don't care. You can take part of their money. 
doesn't matter. They got plenty. And if it makes you feel better to take it and it vaccinates or insulates them from any harm or somebody accusing them of something, that's okay. They do it all the time. You saw this with crypto guy, this guy from the FTX exchange. You know, he's been vaccinating himself with the uh, Democrats by giving them money for a couple of years, slipping and sliding away out there. All these guys do that. The very poor are forced into that position because of an economic situation that they're hard to get out of, and they become beholden to government. They can't see a way out. They're they're underwater. And so when you just have those two pieces, it's easy to rule a country. You just get the top behind you, distribute a little bit from them to the bottom, and you stay in charge. A strong middle class doesn't buy into that. We have to preserve it. We can't let them destroy it. And they are. So... When you recognize that, you understand why some of this stuff that we think they want to change because it's hurting the economy, a lot of them don't want to change. All right, everybody, we're back into the deep dive into how we can take our country back. Well, can I take it back? We'll just, we'll just repossess it. It's sort of like a, uh, you know, an eviction. <laughs> but to do that, we got to understand things a little bit better. Also, for those of you who are listening on the podcast and other ways and don't hear the bumper music, I will once again, like we did last week, impart to you a tremendously important philosophical uh, idiom uh, coming from the Eagles, the band, not anything flying over your house, uh, that uh, you need to take it easy. We're going to get stuff going. We're going to get it back. Be very, very determined. But don't, uh, well, here's the best part of advice. Don't let the sound of your own gears drive you crazy. Whatever that means, I get it. I'm not sure exactly how to explain it, but I know what it means. The sound of my own gears drive me pretty crazy lots of days because of this stuff. So we got to put our head down, just keep plowing forward. And we need to change our paradigms about how we do things. Let's talk just a little bit more about that. I'm trying to be interesting. I'm working at it. Here's a couple other facts. And I have my notes here. You may hear my, my paper rustling. I also have to look at my handwriting a couple of times to figure out what I wrote. A lot of this stuff I got from two or three places. One was a very good article. I think it was on Revolver News even, um, but on this analysis. And I just thought it's it's important to let you guys know how this stuff works. Getting back to this election and, and how things changed and how we have to change our ground game out there and the, our game in general. Uh, 2018, right, 163 <laughs> it's a, it's just crazy. Uh, in Pennsylvania, 163,000 citizens, here making my notes, voted earlier absentee in the 2018 election. In 2020, 2.6 million voted absentee or early. And in this race in 2022, 1.2 million Pennsylvanians voted earlier by mail-in ballot. It, that's how the Braddock behemoth got elected to the Senate. Right? And and this just shows this thing I've said before. We're looking for voters. They're looking for ballots. And that doesn't just mean that they're making ballots up. Who knows? Uh, putting them through the copy machine, whatever the case may be. Is that instead of just trying to get people the day of and turned out, which we still need to do, is they're out harvesting ballots from people who may not vote all the time, may not be particularly who you would associate with voting. They track them down. 
They have a system called ERIC. That's an acronym for one, for a computer system that is utilized in some places that tracks people down who have received mail-in ballots. This is especially useful in states that do all or many mail-in ballots. In Colorado, where I'm at, we're all mail-in because that's the way it goes. The next legislative session will probably uh, devolve to the point where you vote by driving by and waving out of your car window with putting up one finger or two fingers, and that'll be how we'll vote. Or we'll vote on the Internet. <laughs> There's actually a lot of people that want to do that, vote on the Internet. We'll vote on the Internet, of course, because that's absolutely secure and is no problem whatsoever. Have your servers go through Albania and then who knows what, right? So, But outside of the people who aren't interested in election integrity, there are the people who are just still doing mail-in voting because that's as close to not being interested in election integrity as you can get until you vote on the Internet. But what you do is this is what they're doing. They concentrate on tracking ballots down sent to people who haven't vote, have yet voted. They know who ballots get sent out to, and then they see ballots have been returned. And if they haven't been returned, and they're in areas where they expect them to be progressive Democrat voters, they start contacting people and seeing if they've voted, if they haven't voted. Have you filled out your ballot yet? If you haven't filled your ballot out, uh, you know, would you please do that? And we'll come pick it up. We'll do everything for you. All you have to do is just, like, scratch your X on the back of the envelope. And uh, since you're probably a Democrat, we're going to assume you voted for everything. If you have any questions about who to vote for, we're happy to answer those for you. And they're very good at that kind of thing. And it it's perfectly legal. And in the states that where it is legal, which is far too many, but, yeah, it's perfectly legal. So they're out there able to harvest these votes. They're not just getting the votes of the people who want to vote, they're finding, encouraging, and transporting the ballots of people who just can't get around to it or whatever the case may be. They're not just trying to get them to the polls. They're just trying to get their ballot turned in. That's a different focus than we've been doing. And when you see the numbers of the people that are doing, it is, <laughs> you know, what they identify Democrat or progressive-leaning voters. And especially people who have been in the past unlikely to vote. They can see they haven't voted for maybe two or three election cycles. In the old days, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, back, you know, when people wore powder wigs and stuff, if you hadn't voted for a few election cycles, you got taken off the rolls. And you had to re-register if you wanted to vote. Not anymore. This is why they don't want to clean the election rolls. This is why in our state... Our Secretary of State, and others like it, will lay down in front of a bulldozer before they agree to start cleaning off the ballots, or rather the voting rolls, because they want those people on there. Now, a lot of people say, well, they want them because it's easier to cheat. You know, you can create these people or pick the ballots up and vote yourself. Don't know about that. You can be suspicious if you want, but there's still a, an, a very big advantage that's legal, which is... You keep sending these ballots out to people who don't vote. And they don't get returned. And in my state, if you get if it gets returned and they're not at that address, they at least take that off. Some states don't even do that, I don't believe. But they keep sending them out. People just never return the ballot. You know, eh, this and that. Junk mail. Well, they track those. 
especially if they are in these groups that they identify as progressive or heavily Democratic voters. And they target them to get those ballots turned in. And they have a lot of time. You send your ballots out a month ahead of time, say, before the election. That's a lot of time to track people. And when the ballots aren't coming in, you can look at people, hey, this person hasn't voted the last couple of elections. They live in an area where there's a lot of Democrat voters. You know, in elections four years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, they voted Democrat. They haven't turned their ballot in. The computer tells us it isn't in yet. Let's get them contacted and try and get that ballot turned in. Maybe call them on the phone, maybe go by their house, whatever the case is with a canvasser, and see if they're going to vote. If they don't want to vote, then say, well, we'll just take it in for you if you want. We'll just do everything. Just go fill that out, hand it to me, and then we'll leave you alone. And that's very effective. And when you see these numbers of how many ballots are out there in states where they only have partial mail-in ballots, or anybody can request one, or we send you one anyway, you see what's happening. Right. Very, very, uh, I mean, the amount of mail-in ballots in like Pennsylvania that were out there, it was, a, it was a contest about who could collect the most ballots and not have voters just blow it off. Not about turning the vote out in a traditional sense. It's, it's slightly different and you can see how it turns everything on its head if you start looking at the advantages to that, and that's what's going on, you know. Uh, the last thing is something Victor Davis Hanson was talking about and some other commentators, and this is an interesting point. Some of the states that are the worst, and this is why New York is such a bright spot in this last election, some of the places that are in the worst shape because of these progressive policies, you know, the Oregons, you know, the Portland uh, you know, Washington state, California, which is turning into a, a third world country in a lot of places, if that, uh, and New York, this part of the city is, you know, like something out of, uh, escape from New York, only you can't escape unless you have enough money to move. Uh, they're leaving. So what you're doing is you're pre-selecting the voters in a sense. So if someone's in New York, and they are more conservative and they just can't take it anymore and they have the opportunity, they're moving and they're moving to Florida and they're moving to Texas and they're moving to Tennessee. And so those states are, are actually getting more conservative, but it's taking away progressive, I mean, conservative voters from these progressive states, which is turning them a little bluer. It shows in New York that's been losing significant population to Florida, especially and also to Tennessee, uh, shows how bad things are that we had, uh, I want to say, three seats, congressional seats there, that went Republican. I think all the seats in Long Island went Republican. It shows you how bad it is because they've been losing conservative people out of that state for probably four years, five maybe. I mean, there's some people drifting out before. But now it's getting to be very noticeable. So they've been getting more blue, not because more blue people are there, but because that's all that's left. This is another thing, the census. Some of you, and I know I've talked to a couple of you, have followed this census thing about this, the 2020 census 
was very screwy, and they even admit that they overcounted some blue states and appear to have undercounted some red states. Now, why would you do that? Well, first, if you don't have enough people, you lose representation. That's how it works. You'll lose seats in the House of Representatives. California did. Uh, New York lost a seat. I want to think off the top of my head, maybe Illinois did. Because they had too many people leaving. It's hard to imagine in a state like California that used to have such an uh, influx of people. They still have an influx of people. They're not citizens. And one of the reasons they fight all the time to have non-citizens counted in these places, particularly California, in the census is because without them, the representation drops off even lower. They're losing people. They're making them up by people in the country illegally, but we're not supposed to be counting those for the purpose of representation in the House of Representatives. Their argument is, look, they're in the country, they're they're receiving services, they're doing this and that. It's not fair not to count them, because if you don't count them, then we don't have a, as big a share of the federal pie, and we've got to supply services to these people. It's really a circular argument, if you think about it. Okay, let's say that's true. Well, if you didn't welcome them in, you wouldn't have to pay all this money. And that, that argument about not getting enough of the federal funding for it because your population isn't being counted for those folks falls apart. So, it, you know, if you enforce the law to begin with, you wouldn't have this problem. You wouldn't have all this money going out. And if you're losing population because you have terrible policies, you wouldn't also have this drag of people who are inundating your social services system, your schools, and things like that. So their argument is is not good. You know, if you enforce the law, you wouldn't have these people, so you wouldn't have to be able to make this argument that we well, have to have them counted towards the census so we get money. Because remember, there's a lot of allocations out there in the federal government that are based on population and representation. And so that census has a lot of consequences after you have it. It isn't just to determine, you know, how many cars you have in the garage. It's very important to the left to get that census going their way, especially when they're losing population in the states where they had a lot of blue representatives. So they'd like to count everybody that's there, whether they're illegally or not, or whatever. So that's something that happened. And then also there's just been some weird things with the census. Now, I know it's hard to imagine that the deep state... Is the Department of Commerce, I think, runs a sentence, the census. Uh, it's hard to imagine that those, f- those fearless crusaders and selfless bureaucrats in the federal government would have a political agenda about their job. I know. It's shocking. Who would have thought that? I mean, I've never heard of such thing before. Obviously, they do. So uh, that is a very interesting piece of all of this. But in the meantime... Just plain voters are getting the heck out. So that's a dynamic you can't do much about. Sure, you'd like to build a wall around a couple of these states and make them live in the state that they created. But unfortunately, we can't even build a wall on the border between the United States and Mexico, much less around Oregon. So there you have it. Also, there's a lot of people in Oregon, by the way, that are like people where I'm in, in Colorado. The western slope of Colorado is a very different political place than the eastern slope. There's a lot of folks in the eastern side of Oregon that would like to get the heck out. I don't mean of the state, but they would like to get their property out of the state of Oregon and go with Idaho or something like that. And there's been some votes about that. So 
you know, it's, it's dynamic. It's always changing. But if you follow it, you see why these things are taking place. And, and you and I and people who are interested in having the country get on the right foot again have to be able to take advantage of this. And to do that, we have to stop thinking about things the same way. So that's my tirade, uh, the way I've come up with this. We, and we also have to start looking at different ways to get our message out. Our message is attenuated by the fact that we don't own the media. And uh, we're just used to it. Some of this stuff is so one-sided, it's shocking if you weren't slowly just used to the fact that, yeah, 87% of the mentions of the Republicans on, you know, you name it, CNN or whatever is negative. Yeah, of course it is. Really? Is that what? <laughs> we just put up with it now because we're just used to it. We're not going to be able to change them, maybe. Uh, the way you change them is you stop watching them. And uh, I'm not going to say boycott any. I don't like boycotts, but, you know, don't support people that hate you. Advertisers, news stations, whatever the case may be, newspapers, whatever. People walking around your neighborhood handing things out. Just don't support them if they hate you or if they don't stand against everything you're for. So we've got to have better ways to get that out. Right now we have Fox News, which I enjoy a lot. However, there's some there's some holes, uh, Brett Bear. Uh, in the whole thing, uh, that, uh, and if you watch on the weekends, whew, <laughs> it's up and down. It's up and down during the day on the weekends. But there has to be something besides that. Because when it gets right down to it, we don't want anybody to have that, any kind of hegemony on that stuff. So there's Newsmax out there, there's Breitbart, there's things like that. Uh, you know, you should get a different take on all those places. But in your local situation, one of the big problems you have is that you have a very difficult time getting information about what's happening on the local and state level. We've talked about this here many times. I'm sure you're bored with it. Uh, I hate to keep beating the same drum, but yeah, we're in a situation where they've decided, as I've said many times, that we just don't let the yokels know and they'll be quiet. And then when it's a done deal, what are they going to do? And we've seen that many times where very controversial things just slide through at your city council or the legislature. Nobody said a word. And then when it's done and you go find out about it, you're shocked. Well, some of that is us abrogating our responsibility to follow what's going on. And some of it is that we don't have a centralized location to find these things out. And what used to be sources of information to find things out about what was happening in your government uh, have decided that either they've disappeared or... They've been completely captured by the left, and that's that. And, gosh, you know, the news media has been progressive or at least leftist for, I don't know, how long have we had a news media? But a long time. <laughs> Ever since uh, Spanish-American War, maybe. Remember, there was people that said that uh, the Hearst newspapers were probably responsible for whipping the war up. But it, we have that. We have a bias there. And... The bias has changed a little bit from trying to talk about controversial things, convincing you they're not controversial, to just not talking about them at all. Didn't happen. You know, if a bill to limit your purchase of firearms is passed in the legislature and no one talks about it, did it really happen? Doesn't seem like it, but wait till you go somewhere and feel the consequences. And then, sure enough, it did happen. So we're going to have to get more savvy 
about how to get information out. Now, I know when we talk about the Internet, it's annoying because it's Byzantine. You feel like you're getting run through a bunch of uh, funhouse mirrors to get places. And then they're not your friends, so they have a tendency to hide your uh, web addresses and stuff like that. And by the way, I always say this because I want to make sure people can find it by just coming to it directly and not searching because I'm a little leery of the search engines out there. But you can get to my website where there's a links to all this stuff we talk about uh, at uh, therickwagnershow.com or uh, to connect the stuff that we use, you know, in some other places like Facebook and so forth, politicalviking.com. That will get you there too. Both get you to the web page. If you want to come in, it's all just news on there, news items, stuff I picked up, a couple of snarky comments from me. And some videos and uh, a podcast from, I think, Victor Davis Hansen is on there. It updates three times a week. And uh, some stuff that I like. But a lot of it's just tons of news feeds. So you can do that. And I'm very leery of trying to find my website and stuff just with some random Google search because I don't think that, I don't think they're as interested in having you find a conservative website as they are, say, oh, I don't know, the Daily Beast or something. But I might just be my paranoia. But you've got to inform yourself. And everybody out there that is interested in forming Republican slash conservative groups or already existed have got to have some way to communicate with your members that's very regular and useful and doesn't flood their mailbox with stuff every day. It has to be trustworthy so that when they say this is an alert, it's actually about something that matters and not some, you know, this is an alert, you know, the flashing red lights and it's for, uh, you know, a uh, an ice cream social in two weeks or something. Uh, that's all fine to put out there, but have some mechanism to communicate with people so when they see it, they know that it's something they need to look into and find out about. Uh, we're We're kind of down to that. And we're going to develop that. I mean, I have some people that I work with here that we've just been sort of working pretty hard at trying to learn our way through the uh, Google slash, oh, you know, YouTube's owned by Google, and even the Facebook stuff, which is falling off a lot in many ways. Uh, and don't forget Instagram, which is very important to a lot of people. Uh, TikTok is just something's hard to figure out. TikTok is a, a way people get a lot of hits, but doing a lot of weird stuff. If you want to watch Beto O'Rourke dance for a minute, TikTok's the home for you. So it's harder to figure out how to get your message out. But we have the message. We gotta craft it. We gotta understand what the battlefield is. We gotta get our tactics to the battlefield. And that's how we'll win. Okay? More next week. Have a great weekend, folks.